0: Senator Malcolm Roberts, great to see you once again. Well, it's a pleasure being here, Mike. I always enjoy sessions with you because you're straight down the line. Thank you very much. Now, you've written to the PM seeking answers on COVID-19 management. First of all, why now? I believe you have some very interesting death figures.
1: Yes, here's the letter. It's a six-page letter. Can you see that? Yep. It's a six-page letter and it's got seven attachments. Now, it's a total of about 65 pages, something like that. The seven attachments deal with, first of all, the data on on, uh, on COVID, the, which has largely come from the, uh, the chief medical officer for the federal government. The second attachment is on the vaccines, the injections. The third one is on the uh, alternatives or the complementary alternatives to the injections. The fourth one is on the lockdowns. The fifth one is on the restrictions and their impact, and also on the proper management of it, as shown by Taiwan the sixth one is on the conclusions and the seventh is on solutions so why now very simple we've got the data and also significantly people are waking up it's now possible to ask questions in the first 12 months it was very very difficult to ask questions on the very first month the first day of, of single session in the in the parliament passing the government's um coronavirus covid measures i actually stood up and said because of the tens of thousands of deaths overseas we're going to just pass them through let you get on with the job we want you to get the data we want you to then make a solid plan and then we will hold you accountable i said that again in august when we passed their job sorry in april 2020 and when we passed their job keeper package and we then started holding them accountable the month after may and june we had to do it very carefully mike because the media anti-social media the facebook Instagram, Instagram, uh, and so on, YouTube were against us and shutting us down. We had to be very, very careful what we said and certain things were banned like the IVA medicine. And so we had to be very, very careful. It was difficult to wake people up. We saw that we couldn't attack the government and hold them accountable. It would be seen as attacking the government and they going against the national interest. So until the people woke up, we, could, we had to be just very careful how we did our job. So we held them accountable, asked questions, spoke uh, truthfully in the Senate, but we had to be careful. Now that the Victorian government, the Queensland government, the New South Wales government have gone right over the top, people are going, hell, what's going on? People are waking up, and they now expect us to be very assertive and aggressive in our questions and so now is when we have to also we have the opportunity to actually question what's going on with the government and as i said we have the data and i've extracted the data in senate estimates questions in march this year and and may uh, may june this year so that's what i'm sharing in the in the document now with regard to the death numbers the deaths show us that there is no pandemic of deaths mike none at all there is no pandemic of death the first thing that comes with a, with a pandemic, a true pandemic, is an increase in the total deaths. No such thing here. So some people might say, well, hang on, we've had lockdowns. Of course there are no, no, no increase in deaths. But the same applies all over the world. Globally, most nations. What about Sweden? Sweden didn't have any lockdowns at all. Sweden did have an increase in deaths. But that was probably deaths brought on earlier because of the virus. People who had comorbidities. What we're seeing now is Sweden walk gradually up the curve in terms of having lowest uh, lower uh, mortality rate, and they're reverting to their mean in the number of deaths. There is no pandemic of deaths. That's the first point. The second point is that when you look at the actual death figures reported in this country, there is an average, a running average for the last five or ten years. I can't remember what it is. And then there's a range above and a range below, a band. Annually, those figures they vary. They they get high in the winter and low in the in the summer, and they they vary. And so, but the figures will for any year will stay within the band. Something unprecedented has happened since the start of these injections, the COVID injections. The number of deaths has gone above the normal band. This is unprecedented. It can't be COVID because we know the numbers there. They're they're low, very low. It can't be car accidents because we know there's been less car car, um, mileage, less car miles driven, uh, fewer accidents. It can't be suicides, although there's been a dramatic increase in suicides. The total number of suicides is fairly low. It's not an increase in other other deaths due to other, um, other illnesses. It can only be, it seems, the injections because that's when the deaths started climbing above the upper range. And what we've seen now is that although Victoria can put out its its death figures within a couple of weeks of their, their months ending, the federal government now used to be six weeks delay, is now 15 weeks delay. So we haven't got any death figures since the end of June. And we had several months, uh, with one exception, we had several months tracking above the, the upper range. So what we're seeing is a very, very questionable increase in deaths. Mm. The third thing about deaths, Mike, and I'm going on a bit here, but deliberately, doctors have reported 564 deaths due to the vaccines. Now, I questioned the Therapeutic Goods Administration head, Professor John Scarrett, last week. He got very upset in Senate Estimates with me. He said there haven't been 564 deaths because what the TGA has done is they have changed that 564 and assessed it as being 9 But it is a true statement to say the doctors have reported 564 deaths due to the vaccine. The TGA has revised them down to nine. So what we've done is we've said to the TGA on notice, show us the process and the means and the justification how you change that 564 down to nine. We're going to keep asking questions.
0: The failures and the cost of COVID-19 management are massive. You mentioned accountability accountability before. How do we get accountability from governments such as state and federal?
1: Keep asking questions. Keep asking questions. That's number one. That's our job. My job is to serve the people holding the government accountable. The second, though, is to recognise that democracy has failed in this country. At the moment, it's lapsed. I should say it hasn't failed. It's lapsed. And that's because parliaments, state and federal, are dominated by liberal nationals and Labor Greens. The last Labor Party government in federal parliament was the Labor-Greens coalition. I don't think the Labor Party will ever ever take power federally again on its own right. It will always be in in cahoots with the Greens, which is a really difficult thing for this country because it means the Greens will tell the Labor Party what to do if the Labor Party wants to stay in power. So we basically have a green lunatic government if Labor gets in. Mm. But at state level, it's liberal, national and Labor and sometimes Labor-Green. So, what's happened is with that, that duopoly, those two coalitions, they pretend to argue with each other. On the major bills, they support each other and get them through. Bills that support banks, bill that support, bills that support international organizations, uh, international policies like, that come from the World Economic Forum or, or from the United Nations. But what happens is the parliaments and the bureaucrats serve the two major parties, the Liberal National Party and the uh, greens labor coalition party that's what they serve and they serve those vested interests and they serve their donors they no longer serve the people so what's got to happen is we have got to get the people to vote for anyone except liberal national labor greens vote for the miners vote for the independents and and get a change in parliament so we can start holding the governments accountable because at the moment queensland doesn't have an upper house it, it governs basically with the labor government that's wrecking the joint debt is now 130 billion dollars unbelievable in a resource-rich state like queensland the country is in a mess Mm. democracy is lapsed and we have to get a change in parliaments by changing for who people vote
0: for can you tell me um why parliaments aren't working for the people and Mm. do we actually need fundamental reform sooner than later we
1: don't need fundamental reform. Our democracy, our democratic system, parliamentary system, governance system is fine. What we need to do is get back to following the Constitution, abiding by the Constitution. We've deviated from that in federal parliament, and that, that must stop. Uh, so we've got to get back to that. And Pauline and I have been the, the most significant in calling for that over all the time we've been in parliament. Pauline, for 25 years. So we've got to stop bypassing the, the Commonwealth Constitution. The second thing, so we need to get back to complying with the Commonwealth Constitution. The second thing, and this is really significant, is there's an old saying, Mike, uh, in a totalitarian dictatorship, the people fear the government. In a true democracy, the government fears the people because when, they go, when the government goes astray, the people vote them out and put another mob in. What's happened here? is that over the years, Prime Ministers have corrupted the system, stacked it so that it's either Labor or Liberal Nationals. And that makes it very difficult for a third party to rise. Malcolm Turnbull went into bed with the Greens to change the last, to make the last change, the latest change in Senate voting. That was to hit the, the minor parties. And what you'll see is that we barely just scraped through that One Nation. So we've got a foothold on the other side of the door in Parliament. All the other minor parties are getting shed because of the way that the voting is now occurring. We've also seen John Howard brought in with in cahoots with the Labour Party, compulsory preferential voting. It used to be optional preferential voting, and we don't have time to go into that now. But that is true preferential voting. That is where the voter decides who they vote for. Compulsory quite often ends up they must vote for the Liberal Party or the or the Labour Party. So what we've got to do is get back to optional preferential voting. We've also, though, got to get get the voters to make sure that they fulfill their responsibility. Don't vote for the Liberal Nationals. Don't vote for Labor Greens. Vote for Miners and Independents. Because when we get a change in Parliament, you will have people who are not beholden to the donors. Because we don't have large donors. We have grassroots donors. People who give up $5, $10, $50. We value that. But we don't have a lot of money. So instead of the parliament being run by money, it'll be run by the voters. And that's what's really important to understand. Mm. Oh, and by the way, I introduced a bill for election integrity. It had two aspects, voter ID. Labor Party absolutely spewed on that one. They don't want voter ID. Most people in Australia do. Um, And we also brought in... uh, Proposed an, uh, an election audit Before the federal election And after the federal election Firstly before the federal election To make sure the systems are correct And sound And and afterwards to make sure The, the processes were implemented properly So the federal government Does not do audits On the election process mm-hmm. New South Wales and Western Australia do So what we've done is We've introduced that It got sent to committee The Labour Party jumped up and down And screamed But it gave the government The courage to actually introduce a bill similar to ours, it borrowed heavily from ours with some minor tweaks. Uh, And we're going to support that. It looks like it'll get, get up through the Senate and through the lower house. So that will ensure election integrity. So that's very, very important. We've made that change. We've driven that into the government. And I've got to give the government credit uh, it has got some people within within the Liberal Party and the National Party who support these measures, which is
0: wonderful to see. Mm. Look, we don't have honest media in this country. Uh, <laughs> in, I mean, just in case it had sort of you've missed that part. Uh, but, yeah, you know, actually two things here. We're getting off, off script here. But do you think is, the first question is, do you think that we would have been down this far down this horrible path if the media hadn't been the, the, the propaganda arm and second part of this is, what are your thoughts on how we fix this uh, abomination of uh, of information, disinformation from the media? Firstly, Mike,
1: I agree with you entirely. We would not have been this far down the path uh, in, in a lapse of democracy if it hadn't been for the media. The media has turned into a propaganda outfit. Um, Sky News has become, with the exception of Alan Jones and Rowan Dean, has become propaganda, uh, propagandist for the for the injections, COVID injections. 2GB, disgraceful, mm. propagandist uh, for the for the injections as well. Um, 2SM to some extent, the the radio channels and and also the TV channels, mm. uh, they're only presenting one side of the news. The ABC, as usual, pushing the government line, which is propaganda on the injections. We think a lot of the data is wrong. Uh, we know a lot of the data is wrong. They still keep pushing it, but they only push one side. There's no doubt about that. The media has enabled this. The media has, uh, you know, that even when they when they report something, they taint it. For example, we know there are many, many severe side effects. We know, for example, from Steve Andrew, our our, uh, One Nation MP in State Parliament in Queensland, he's had 12 people close to him die from Mm. the injection. Mm. 12 people. But when, when the a, when the ABC or the commercial stations dare to acknowledge that someone has died from the vaccine, they say, this is a very rare incident, reassuring everyone. But it's not. Mm. It, so we've seen the, the media withhold, omit and suppress, censor. We see social media censoring me for mentioning the word IVA in, in terms of a, a medicine. I won't give you the full name because you might get censored. Oh, no, we won't. Uh, Say, it, but be, be ivermectin, thank wonderful, you. wonderful medicine, mm. Nobel, Nobel Prize for for medicine. Mm. Um, one of the one of one of the World Health Organization's a crooked, corrupt, incompetent, dishonest organisation. It even admits that ivermectin is one of the one of the top one hundred drugs ever. And we know that it it saves people. We know that it cures people from COVID very, very quickly. We know that it's a prophylactic, preventing the spread of the virus. The vaccines don't do that. They can't stop you getting it. They can't stop you spreading it. Mm -hmm. But ivermectin does. And ivermectin cures very sick people with COVID. We know that. It's ended the virus where it's been used properly. So ivermectin is not allowed to be in, not allowed to be mentioned when we've talked about the therapeutic goods administration trying to suppress my voice when i've talked about ivermectin mm. um, and threatening me um, so so what we what do we have to do with that well we have to do three things i think that i can come to mind straight away first of all listen to the independent media like yourself listen to podcasters listen to people who are telling the truth who are bringing experts in who are building who are bringing in politicians i'm no expert but i'm well-versed in many of the things that are going on, and I will speak up for the people. We need politicians to be given an access to that kind of voice. So thank you very much for what you're doing. I mean, it's marvellous, Mike. and There are many people like you. There's an increase in independent media. We've got the legacy media, mainstream media, pushing the the crap. We've got uh, anti-social media pushing the crap. We've got independent media holding the line. Mm. Uh, So keep doing what you're doing. Second thing. Is we've got to get uh, voters and to vote with their wallets. Don't buy the crap media. Don't buy it. That they can only exist with your money. So stop buying people who are uh, be- becoming propagandists rather than journalists, and stop buying the, the, the channels that, that feed off this nonsense and spread the nonsense. And the third thing is, we want the government to allocate more of the free spectrum. I think that's the right technology, right technical term, to private, independent. When I say no, I should say public, independent broadcasters. None of the, none of the mainstream channels, not the ABC. And I think there's a fourth one. So, so that will get a, a greater voice into mm. broadcasting, radio and and TV. I think there's a fourth one. Sell the bloody ABC. Just sell it. Mm. It's got no. It doesn't bring any value now. Um, it, it's become a propaganda after it. You know, in the 1980s, people needed ABC radio in the Pilbara. They needed ABC TV in the radio because they didn't have an alternative. Now they can get channels from all over the world through the internet. They don't need the ABC. The ABC needs to be kept for some of its emergency work that it that it does. It does a very good job there in the rural sector. But apart from that, it does bugger all, does a lot of damage. We need to sell the ABC.
0: I totally agree with you there. And maybe uh, even news.com.au under uh, the uh, auspice of uh, Murdoch. Um, it's, it used to be a, um, a fairly straight down the line um, resource, but no longer. It's just this uh, opinion, bad opinion, bloggers, travel bloggers, being used as journalists to write about world events, which uh, just shows you the quality is, uh, is lacking. Uh, some have said there's a, a real crisis uh, with, uh, with journalism uh, globally, not just Australia. I think we're in, uh, as they would say, in the classics, uh, in deep doo-doo's.
1: On, on that, if I can just jump in there, I read some time ago that the prominent journalists are saying the journalism is dying because mm. they're now suppressed uh, into into or forced into giving just sound bites, very short articles, lacking in depth. Mm. Also, they they've been squashed in terms of um, the impact of social media, and so they've been under a lot of pressure because the me- normal the legacy media is now constrained in its market size and so that's put the pressure on journalists they've sacked a lot of journalists journalists now have to rush things through rather than investigating them journalists also now take um take on occupation in another area and that's writing for politicians i think the gillard government had 150 journalists employed uh labor in queensland has got a huge number of journalists i can't remember so i I won't won't um Mm. won't, won't be inaccurate but a huge number of journalists. And what the, what the government, do, governments do is they churn out these, these press releases and the, and the journalists in the, in the media are so stretched for time that they just print what they're given. Mm. They don't do any thinking about it. So that's why we've got journalists now working for, for, uh, for uh, governments. And that's why journalism is in fact dying. But I think News Corp is a major concern because I think as uh, Rupert Murdoch has, has got older, he's l- turned it over to Lachlan Murdoch who's a, who's a woke Uh, wants to be in in in, in cahoots socially with the right people and i don't think i I think rupert murdoch was very very competent he certainly looked after rupert he certainly had influence on politics uh, and and determined who was the government quite often in this country but he did that for his own benefit murdoch lachlan murdoch seems to be changing the, the australian which used to be a fine paper to becoming a woke paper that just reflects what the un wants it to do it even said words to that effect basically when it came to changing their climate coverage in the last few months. They said they would push Glasgow. I mean, that's disgraceful.
0: Uh, Just finally, um, you know, many of us believe that this whole exercise of COVID-19 and the lockdowns and whatever else happened and has happened is all part of the uh, digital ID. Has the pandemic and the vaccinations, do you think, been used as the means for creating these digital identities for all Australians?
1: Undoubtedly, yes, yes, a resounding yes. Um, and, you know, to, to see, look at the rubbish that they're going to start uh, flinging our way. We have heard about their. this is the wording of their bill, the title of their bill, the trusted digital identity bill. Not the digital identity bill, but the trusted digital identity bill. It's bullshit. Mm. We okay. have, uh, I, haven't, I haven't gone into it in, in any meaningful way yet, but one of our researchers, very, very clever, actually two of them, uh, very clever, have gone right into it. It is something to be terrified about. Yeah. And my concern is that Labor and Liberals and the Nationals and the Greens will gang up together. The Greens have really come out uh, and sh- revealed their true colors. They're, they're control freaks. Yeah. They just want to control how we live, what we, what we do, how, how we live entirely. Now, they will probably gang up and pass it through. through. We don't believe it will come to the uh, parliament before the next election because if it does, the people will be horrified. We will blow it out of the water and and put it right in everyone's faces. Mm. But what they will try to do, I think, is they will try to bring it in regardless of which party is in power, Labor, Greens or Liberal Nationals. They will bring it in straight after the election. To give people three years to forget about the fact that it was brought in Mm. but that will give horrific powers to people it will connect to, to um to to unelected officials as well as to politicians um so that's something to be deeply concerned about deeply deeply concerned about
0: you're worried about conflict of interest can you tell us about the tga and what your concerns are with conflict
1: i certainly can um in that in that letter that i wrote to uh the prime minister and the queensland premier um attachment two was to do with the 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 injections the vaccine so-called vaccine and as part of that I, I, i've got two pages on therapeutic goods administration and mike we could do an entire show just on on the conflicts of interest within the therapeutic goods administration it's startling two pages of it yeah. um, the, the conflicts of interest abound i'll go back to my notes because I, I just want to get through this quickly the therapeutic goods administration is funded entirely by fees imposed on the pharmaceutical companies that it supposedly regulates. That's how it gets its money from the, the pharmaceutical companies. A new prescription drug, for example, requires payment of a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar application fee and ongoing fees of thirty thousand a year. And this was confirmed to me by the head of the Therapeutic Goods Administration, Professor John scare last week in Senate Estimates. This is not stuff made up this is this has been validated This has been researched properly and validated by Professor Scarrett. Now, the TGA, which which is the the overall body that, that regulates pharmaceuticals in this country, the TGA makes $160 million a year in payments from pharmaceutical and nutraceutical companies and device manufacturers. It's the same drug companies repeatedly paying their money and getting their approvals. These same drug companies invite clinicians to attend exclusive and free professional development programs to promote their products. And if you look at Ivermectin, for example, Ivermectin is safe. It's it's had 60 years of use with 3.7 billion doses. We know now that it works with COVID. It's effective with COVID. We know that it it is affordable and we know that it is readily available. Why isn't it being used? If it was being used, it would stop this vi- virus in its tracks. We've seen that overseas. There'd be no need for the injections. Even Merck itself has now come out and said, don't use ivermectin. It, it, de- it developed uh, ivermectin and won war- awards for it. I've, and ivermectin, though, will scotch any need for a new patented drug from Merck. So Merck stands to lose if ivermectin takes off. The, the Pfizer, AstraZeneca, um, Moderna, they all, and Johnson and Johnson, they all stand to lose. Pfizer itself is up to looking at, uh, I think, about 44.5 billion dollars in revenue this year. Without, the, with, with, if ivermectin was released in this country, it, sorry, it can be used in this country, but not for COVID. It's against the law now, suddenly, um, in COVID. So that's what that's what these conflicts of interest show. The TGA is running shotgun, protecting the big pharmaceutical companies. Uh, COVID has shown how easily approvals for the um, new drugs that, co- that come from big pharma are approved that the injections used in COVID they're not properly tested we could do a, a whole show on that mm. itself they're, they're, they've bypassed many of the tests for that that should take at least seven years for these things to come through they're not they're provisionally approved that means they're only approved because there's no competitor for them But there is a competitor, and that's ivermectin. Mm. Um, We have a document containing 32 pages of conflicts of interest for the medical professionals on the TGA's expert committees that review drugs and recommend approval. 32 pages. The people signing off on new drugs at the TGA are too close to the drug manufacturers, personally and financially. They've literally worked for these companies. Mm. All the injections, the booster shots, and new daily pills like Fiverr's Sotrovimav have been given temporary Mm. approval all have high profit margins. That approval, as we know now, comes from Freedom of Information requests, was based on drug companies telling the TGA what the field trials revealed about safety and efficacy and the TGA believed them. They haven't done testing in this country on it. They haven't done testing properly anywhere in the world on it in just a matter of months. They've provisionally approved it. So you can see, um, why didn't the TGA stringently review and personally cite the safety studies for vaccine approval when they're part of an unprecedented government mandate process. I mean, we're not only – look, I, I'm in favour of, of medicines that are tested, proven, and proven safe, effective, f- affordable, and readily available. These vaccines are none of that. They're none of that. These vaccines have bypassed the normal testing procedures. They are not, not fully proved. Now, but what's even worse, it's bad enough for someone to say, here's an untested or partially tested drug to release that. But to then force people to inject it into them, that is inhuman. It's insane. It's immoral. And so we're now doing an untested – hell, I can't say it any better than the health minister, Greg Hunt. The world is engaged in the largest clinical vaccination trial – the world is engaged in the largest clinical vaccination trial. Mm. It's a trial, untested, unproven, risky. We know there are massive side effects, uh, adverse effects overseas. They're being recorded. Uh, we know that they've killed 30, 36,000 people in Europe and America, just recorded once. We think the number of rec- recorded deaths uh, is, lo- is low relative to the total number of deaths from these injections.
0: It's immoral. Malcolm Roberts, you're fired up. I can see what quarantine does to you. I'd hate to be there with you. Uh, <laughs> how, how many more days do we have to go? I have another 10. Wow. I, I won't talk to you until after then. <laughs> uh, Senator Malcolm Roberts, if somebody wants to find out more about your views, uh, read the paper, have a look at the, uh, your paper, have a look at the, um, uh, your website and stuff. How do they do that?
1: Malcolm Roberts, M-A-L-C-O-L-M-R-O-B-E-R-T-S, QLD Malcolm Roberts, QLD, one word, lowercase.com.au.
0: Absolutely fantastic. You've opened a can of worms, though. So we need to talk about more of the other nefarious activities from government and, uh, and uh, the TGA, uh, not just here but overseas. And uh, maybe we could, um, as they would say in the classics, Malcolm, punch the bear on the nose. Senator Malcolm Roberts, thank Happy you to very do it. much.
1: You're very welcome and keep doing what you're doing, Mike. And by the way, I'm glad you raised overseas because this is driven from overseas.
0: It's the New World Order. Senator, thank you.
1: You're welcome.